It looks like an Ohio church plans to be among the first in the country to launch a Christian outreach site in the up-and-coming metaverse. We're talking with Dan Bracken. Dan is the communications director with Ginghamsburg Church, which has campuses in Dayton and Tip City in Ohio. Now, Dan, before we go any further, give us your understanding of what the metaverse is and, and what it will be. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, uh, I think <laughs> I think in broad terms, uh, even the industry itself, um, you hear from Meta, you hear from Sony, you hear from Apple. I don't know if anybody has a corner market on the definition of the metaverse. Um you know, theoretically, uh, it's very similar to saying cyberspace or even the internet as an interconnected um, digital uh, network. Uh, and so I don't know, even as Meta um, has been designing their own version of the metaverse, there is still a desire that if somebody had a Meta product headset and somebody had an Apple product headset and somebody had a Sony headset, and so on and so forth, that everybody would be able to connect to the same metaverse, uh, taking their assets from one app to another in virtual space. And so I'm not sure if we've seen that iteration of the uh, of the dream yet. Um, right now, uh, my experience on the MetaQuest 2 headset, uh, the metaverse experience that I've experienced is limited to the experience that you can access on that headset and only that headset. And so I think there's a wider, broader sense of um, what the metaverse means when we consider the, uh, the full dream, which would be access to virtual space from any device um, that you might have. So that would include like a, a smartphone? Sure. I think it could. I think it could include VR and AR applications. Um, and so just the layering of um, digital into your physical world um, in many ways. I think it's a, a way that we might see the internet come to life, if you want to think of it that way. So when you would go into the metaverse, are all users in their avatars? You know, so I'm, I'm guessing that you haven't tried uh, putting a headset on, or have you? Richard? This is true. Yeah. Um, so... When you put on, and again, I can only speak from my experience with the Meta Quest 2 headset. Um, I know Sony has their gaming application headsets. Um, I know Apple is actually looking at maybe launching their own application uh, early next year. But in terms of the Quest 2 headset, uh, when you put it on, um, you have to, at this point, you have to have a Facebook account. And so even if you don't have a Facebook account, you need to create one before you can access um, content in the Quest 2 headset. Uh, that's changing in August. Uh, right now, the way they are organized is, is still very Facebook down, um, but they are actually switching everything to become meta down, and so you're going to need to create a meta account if you have a Quest 2 headset. Um, with that meta account, you're going to be required to create a uh, an avatar um, to provide some personal information so that in virtual space you can be identified as you or the primary admin account user on the headset. Um, each, each headset can hold up to four different accounts. And so theoretically, there could be four different avatars depending on who's logging in. Um, but each of those accounts... Uh, it would be a requirement to create an avatar to go with those accounts. 
All right. No, you're, you're very accurate in that I've not tried this yet. I'm, uh, I'm intrigued. Yeah. I'm looking at it. I'm interested. And no doubt with, you know, what I do digitally, I'm going to be, uh, yeah. you know, going that direction. So uh, you're, you're educating Fun. me, which is, which is good. Um, good. Now, now, recently, you held a get-together for people in your church who are interested in virtual reality and maybe the yeah. possibility of sharing Jesus somehow in the metaverse. Yeah. Tell us what went on. Yeah, so uh, a few months back, a couple things happened. First, we put out a digital discipleship survey to the subscribers of our e-news, which is a weekly email publication written for our core community. Uh, This allowed us to take a pulse of our church's general awareness, interest, uh, and fluidity with digital technology. Uh, Feedback from that survey suggested there were about 30 people uh, who checked all the boxes for an invitation to dive a little bit deeper into into digital discipleship. Uh, And so parallel to the distribution of that survey, there was a pre-existing fascination with VR that was bubbling up from our staff creative team. Uh, And so we applied for... we. We applied for and received a $3,000 grant from the Texas Methodist Foundation, which allowed us to purchase seven Quest 2 headsets for the church, and then, we were, and then we were commissioned to use those headsets to research ministry in VR. And so the initial assignment for our creative team was just to play, <laughs> to get comfortable with the tool, get comfortable with the medium, uh, and then once we were comfortable enough to lead an introductory course— we made personal invites to those names that emerged from our survey. And uh, what resulted was what we officially called a virtual reality training experience kind of thing. And uh, 17 different people showed up, uh, and we had a blast. Uh, We had a short briefing beforehand to warn of things like motion sickness and eye strain, um, and uh, made sure to alert everyone that when we explored uh, Horizon Worlds, which is meta or Facebook's social VR app, uh, that they would be representing the staff admin's avatar, uh, which later proved to be pretty confusing as we all took turns uh, in each other's bodies um, in virtual space. But we split into four groups. We went to four different rooms, uh, all set up with casting, uh, and so other people in the room could see what the person wearing the headset was experiencing. And then we hopped between apps and we rotated on the headsets, and uh, it wasn't without challenges and difficulties, but it was fun and informative. And we ended our time together with reflections and ideas on how to move forward. So you said there were some awkward moments? <laughs> For sure. So there is a unique feature in uh, these headsets where you can create a party um, where we are all together in virtual space. We can hear each other as if we're talking on the phone, but we can also see each other's avatars. And so in our party, uh, because we were all logged in as the staff admins, avatars, or whoever the primary admin on that headset was, which at the time was our staff folk, um, it was very odd talking to, you know, a female avatar that was uh, our male friend who was um, (laughs) parading as a different avatar. (laughs) So communication was a challenge. Um, there's a, um, a challenge in, um, everybody talking at the same time. It's just a different space. So to get acclimated with the environment is, is a little goofy. Uh, you don't know how to take turns talking, um, the, uh, you know, hand gestures and things, even though you can, 
have a generally embodied experience in VR. Some of the hand motions as it uh, ties to motion tracking with your controllers can still be a little funny, a little awkward. So there are some challenges for sure um, when you are in headset with other people. So what is going to be the next step for, for your team there to search? Yeah, so um, I put out three options um, to the people that showed up. I think option number one, I encouraged the team that if their heart is leaping, it might be a good time to invest or uh, purchase a VR headset of your own. Um, I recommended uh, a specific baseline model, um, maybe getting a battery pack with it to extend your battery life uh, or, you know, waiting for the next iteration of technology to be released. Um, option number two, uh, the church owns seven headsets, uh, like I've said, and um, access to those headsets is absolutely an option. If anybody wanted to create their own account on one of the church headsets, um, I still need to write up some kind of user agreement to ensure the safety of both uh, the user and the equipment. Uh, but that would certainly be an option if they wanted to commit to coming into the church and accessing uh, one of the headsets that the church owns. And then even option three, there are certain desktop applications uh, for some of the social VR uh, applications. Uh, and so this would be a viable option for anybody interested in striking conversation with people in VR without actually being immersed yourself. Um, and there's three things that I'd really like to see. I haven't mentioned this yet, but part of our exploration in VR, uh, we created a prayer world inside of Horizon Worlds, which is Meta's social VR application, um, where users have access to developer tools and you can create your own worlds. And uh, we created a prayer world that right now seems to be one of only four, maybe five prayer worlds to even exist in Horizon Worlds. Uh, and the only one focused on person-to-person -person interaction instead of coming in and uh, exploring different trinkets and like hearing Bible scripture readings on your own. Uh, and so we need volunteers to staff our Need Prayer world in Horizon Worlds, uh, which might be a boring job for a little while as we slowly develop the world and build community, um, but we hope for it to be a safe place for real prayer with real people, uh, which is something that I think needs to exist in VR spaces. Um, two, we need just groups of explorers, since we're on the front edge of this. Uh, this could be groups of two and three people who commit to exploration once a month, uh, primarily in social VR apps like Horizon Worlds, VR Chat, Altspace VR, and, uh, and others with the intention of building uh, relationships. And then uh, it would also be sweet to have some development help. So I kind of I put out word to the team if anybody has a knack for programming, you know, figuring out how to script or code a bulletin board for our prayer world. So if we have visitors but nobody's there, they can leave a prayer request. Um, we'll use the tools we have, but having someone really interested in Meta's developer tools would certainly put us a step ahead. So those are some of the next, the immediate next steps that um, we're pursuing. So is it possible that there can eventually be a virtual reality church per se, or do you still think it's going to be kind of limited to an actual, you know, brick-and-mortar church, online church, that type of thing? Yeah. Well, um, you should look up VR Church, um, Pastor DJ Soto. I don't know if you've heard of him yet, um, but uh, there is a an existing VR church, and I feel like they're one of the churches um, that exist in VR. There might be others, 
but they're doing it really well uh, from what I've observed. Um, what's interesting, though, the, the more we get, at least this is speaking for me and my team, the more we get into VR, we're not really interested in streaming content into uh, VR spaces and places. I think our primary focus, at least for now, um, is in relationship building um, and the discipleship side of things, people to people interaction. Um, it feels very similar to kind of old school uh, evangelism, walking into a bar or an arcade and striking up conversation with strangers uh, for the sole purpose of uh, introducing them to Jesus. And so right now that's that's where our focus is. Uh, maybe somewhere down the line, if we have built a community and we need a more official gathering space, uh, certainly um, we are uh, observing how VR Church are performing sacraments like baptism and communion, um, evaluating what that might mean for us down the road. Um, and uh, it's all just very interesting at this point. <laughs> and maybe I'll just leave it at that. Wow. That's a lot to take in and, and yes. probably a lot to, to, to figure out. <laughs> now, yeah. I'm, I'm presuming just like on the web, there are probably questionable and wrong kind of things that you can run into in the virtual world, yeah? Of course, yes. My very first experience in a social v in a social VR application was uh, an app called VR Chat, um, and I was such a newbie. It was like the first app that I tested when I put on a VR headset, and I walked into a random room, um, still unfamiliar uh, with how to explore the app, and uh, immediately I was met by three. Um, anime cat women in bikinis and it was extremely uncomfortable um and i didn't know what to do uh and i backed out of the app and i got out of there as quick as i could and i have not gone back into vr chat um and so when i when we were talking afterwards uh, my friend reminded me of that experience and he said now while i'm excited by the prospect of carving out a space for us in this vr future i am wary about asking people to serve People need to be prepared to potentially face the most crude and cruel behavior. Uh, so I would suggest being even more deliberate and selective here than a live in-person outreach program that people who are serving have an idea of what to expect. Um, so for, for, some, for some, interaction may appear more civil since we're having a more embodied experience uh, than, say, on social media when we're, ex when we're communicating just through text where you can't uh, pick up on nonverbal cues or tone of voice. Uh, but the creation of avatars still allows an interesting layer of anonymity, which lowers inhibitions, uh, both in good ways and bad ways. People can be more vulnerable, which might be good for um, VR counseling or for prayer. Um, but let's be honest, <laughs> with, with lower inhibitions comes more stupidity, too. Uh, so while I agree that some people will, will be more civil interacting with a real person, um, in VR space, uh, we've seen that some people can become more brazen and offensive with their behavior as well. So in a virtual space, there are less social and legal consequences to assault or molest an avatar of someone else, and uh, we're not protected by the laws that have yet to catch up to VR and rely on the businesses that host these services. And frankly, um, my friend was saying they're going to just put profits first. Uh, whether that means protecting us or ignoring our issues is to be determined. And so, in short, while some people will be more civil by being in person, 
quote-unquote in person. Others become radically more offensive being able to act out offensive fantasies with minimal consequences in virtual space. And so, you know, it, it all comes down to uh, intentionality of training, helping people know what to expect. Um, there, there needs to be a baseline competence for the types of volunteers that we are sending into virtual space. Um, and I think all of that uh, comes with, uh, with some pretty intentional training. That is understood. Back, back in the 1990s, we experienced a lot of uh, blowback when... Uh, so G Ginghamsburg was actually one of the first churches... I, don't, I wouldn't want to say the first church, but certainly one of the first churches in the 90s to install a, a projector screen in the worship center. Um, and a lot of the... A lot of the negative blowback from that is real similar to how people are responding to virtual reality. Um, and so what was what I so appreciated about our church back then, or at least the stories of how people responded back then, I wasn't at the church back then, um, we installed a projector screen in 1994. One thing I appreciated about our church then, and what I still appreciate about our appreciate about our church family now is that, you know, the freedom to fail is essential, and we have a very forgiving church family. Uh, it's the same exact attitude we had when we installed screens in the mid-90s, and so whether whether virtual reality flops or flies, we'll be the first to know, uh, and then we'll let the rest of the church know what to expect. Mm -hmm. So taking it a step further, is there potential for someone to get into a, a wrong reality where the virtual world kind of becomes their preferred world and their mind is really there, not in their real life. I mean, I guess we're talking you know, even a type yeah. of mental illness or something. Their life kind of gets unraveled because they're so attached yeah. to this. Yeah. You know, that's, it's, inter it's an interesting question. You've se have you seen The Matrix? Yeah, the, the first one. <laughs> so um, I, I've always been really fascinated by a theory of, of mass communication um, called technological determinism. I guess it's more so a theory of, of um, oh, well, I learned about it in mass communication class back in college. This guy, Marshall McLuhan, who many would consider to be the godfather of media. It's almost cliche to mention his name these days. But he has a, a, um, a media framework, media theory framework called technological determinism, which basically states that any any new iteration of technology is an extension of the human body. So, like the car is an extension of the feet, um, the telephone is an extension of your voice and of your ear, maybe the computer is an extension of your central nervous system, so on and so forth. And so, inevitably, he would say, um, in the distant future, humans will have figured out how to extend all of their senses, their entire selves. And since this is what defines technology, um, this is an inevitable consequence of the future. And so we're talking very matrix kind of living, um, which presents a unique um, dilemma and or opportunity for the church. On one end, uh, you can see that as people disembody or disconnect or project themselves outwards, uh, in this case, into a virtual uh, reality, uh, that the shell of themselves will remain behind and will become, we will become more and more lonely in that sense. And so the church has a true uh, responsibility to be connecting people 
um, people to people, physical, uh, physical reality, people to people, um, because uh, we're going to be facing depression and anxiety and loneliness, you know, because we've projected ourselves outwards. Uh, we're all connected into this virtual reality. Um, but there's also the equal opportunity in virtual space that if the church can be present there also, I see, I don't think it's a this or that. I think if this ev- inevitable future is coming, then we need to be present with the physical person, the shell of who they are, where they are in physical space, and we need to be present with the projected person, where they're aiming to be, or where they've sent themselves um, to be present with the real person there as well. So it's it's both. Um, I do see the potential for people to get lost and addicted um, into the places where they project themselves, into virtual reality worlds. Um, time escapes you when you put on a headset, and there's so much to explore. Um, and so I think there is a danger there to get too sucked in. Um, and yet, if this is the emerging reality for all of us, uh, the church needs to be present in both places, in virtual places where people have um, sent themselves and um, to be focused on connecting people in real, tangible, physical um, physical ways. So as Christians, when we tell people about Jesus, about the Bible and so forth, we're talking yeah. about a world that is a spiritual world that you know unlike a virtual world yeah it is a world you well, like a virtual world it's a world you can't necessarily see with your eyes but it's sure. more your spirit connecting uh your heart connecting if you will um so do you think people might be more open to the idea of of the spiritual reality of Jesus because they're also exploring mm. this particular virtual reality it's a good question. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Um, you know, I I do think. What do I think? That's a good question, Richard. Um, th- it just this is came to mind. So I, yeah. yeah, I mean, th- yeah. this is where my head's. This is where my thoughts are going with it. I don't know if it directly answers your question or not. Um, but most of most of the opponents. Um, the adversaries of uh, ministry and virtual reality, if you will, uh, people who might be critical of, of what we're doing. The most common um, concern that's articulated is that it's not real, um, that, uh, that somehow interacting with people in virtual space or meeting spiritual or emotional needs in physical space, in, in meeting physical or, or I'm sorry, meeting emotional or spiritual needs in virtual reality are somehow not real. Um, and uh, I, I just, I don't know if I agree with that because the people, I think we like to look at it as black or white, that there is a physical reality and that there is a virtual reality, but they're both reality. And I think our upcoming younger generations um, are really blending the two. And there is a smaller and smaller distinction between what is physically real and what is virtually real because they are both real. And so when we encounter people in VR to remember that there is a real person, there are real emotions, there are real spiritual and physical needs behind that avatar, um, then there is no difference to how we would approach somebody in VR than how we would approach somebody in quote-unquote real (laughs) physical life. 
Um, right. I think it's the I think it's the same. I think it's the same. So any right. any assumptions that we might have for people to be receptive to Jesus, if we were to walk into a bar, or into an arcade, or into a store in the mall, or wherever, uh, I think those assumptions can probably still be real, especially in a post-Christian, post-modern world, in in uh, virtual reality space as well. We cannot confuse cultural practices with core values. This is something I learned um, a while ago as I started general work in church media. Uh, I started in 2006. So since 2006, this has been a driving driving principle of mine, is that we can't confuse cultural practices with core values. What do I mean? So when we assign spiritual value to the technology itself— then the technology itself can become good or evil. Uh, You can say it's evil as justification for not having it, and you can say it's good as justification for having it, but we all know that just having it only goes so far. For example, churches that use screens only as justification to purge their hymnals don't get it. That screen isn't just for projecting lyrics to songs and PowerPoint presentations. Uh, That's just using the tech to use the tech. We installed screens in the 90s to tell stories, to be a window to the world. So what makes a technology good or evil always comes down to what you do with the technology. Our core value is reaching unchurched people for Jesus, whether we access modern technology or not. Our sin would be one of omission if we passed this opportunity by. And uh, after the training experience for virtual reality that we had in our church, uh, a friend of mine said Christians dismissed Hollywood as evil. I think we see now that we missed an opportunity to shape Hollywood by being present at the onset of cinema as a communication platform instead of just dismissing it altogether. And I think it's the same with VR. VR is coming. We weren't at the table then, but we are now, and we have a significant opportunity to influence this incredible new communication medium for the kingdom of God. Well, the future is going to be fascinating, that's for sure. Yes. <laughs> Without a doubt. Dan Bracken, yes. thank you so much for, for sharing your, your heart and uh, giving me personally a bit of education on, on what's going on. We, we sure appreciate it. Yes, sir. Thank you very much.